We discussed in the first uh, uh, segment of tonight's uh, session how important, and that in fact is not important, but it is a requirement that we know that we know what's flying. In other words, the fact that we could be listening to the shofar has no significance. Has no significance. It says, Ashrei Ha'am Yodei Trua Hashem. Literally translated, it means praiseworthy is the nation that knows the blowing. Now the word is, as I mentioned in the Torah, is Trua. Trua. Yet along the way, it became Shvarim because the Gemara, actually this complication arose from the uh, Gemara, so it appears, that they weren't sure, they weren't sure what the word or what the implication of the word Truah in the Torah was about. Did it mean a consistent sound coming out? Or was it intermittent? And even if intermittent, what is the length of this intermittent sound? In other words, there is shvarim. I'm, I hope that you're all familiar with the uh, the uh, length and the, and the uh, significance. Not, well, not significance, but the the way that sound appears as opposed to tekiah and truah. So we are dealing essentially with three aspects. And there seems to be disagreements on what constitutes that one word mentioned in the Torah. Now the blowing of shofar isn't only designated for Rosh Hashanah. For example, when the Jews entered the land of Israel, and they wanted to capture the town of Jericho, the familiar story concerning Jericho, they blew the shofar. They blew the shofar, and the walls came tumbling down. On Yom Kippur, following the Yom Kippur, the closing, the closing event, which has become so significant, unfortunately that's, what others consider to be the significant event, is the blowing of the shofar at the end of Yom Kippur. It marks the end of Yom Kippur, a blowing of the shofar. The blowing there was just tikiyah, one straight sounding uh, voice that comes out without any interruptions. It is only only on Yom Kippur that we experience a discussion on what this truah should be, what it should be. 
are they really different? And if they are different, what are what do they signify for us? And what is so important that we understand what they mean? Therefore, I'll read the Zohar and we'll see what he has to say about it. Shalamatnu. Rabbi Yesha Saba Amar. Elu hatkiyot kisidran. They have a certain order. Seda harishon kalu mikulam. In other words, where did the idea of blowing and the uh, order of the blowing originate. Where did it come from? It's clearly stipulated and expressed here in the Zohar. There's no question of where it originated. Now, while in the uh, the Talmud also has different discussions, but Rabbi Shimon, when he wrote what this order should be, what this order should be, there is a halakha, there is a general ruling that if the halakha, the law of Kabbalah, stipulates doing something one way, and then there is the general halakha stipulated by others, not by Kabbalah, the halakha of Kabbalah rules. Very strange. The halakha of Kabbalah rules. In other words, there is the Shulchan Aruch that was written for the purpose of establishing the rules. But if it's in conflict, if it's in conflict with the way it has been prescribed in the Zohar, we follow the tradition of the Zohar and not the tradition that was handed down elsewhere. What does that indicate? Why did the, why did the rabbis decide that this should be the the uh, the overruling uh, halacha as opposed to other rulings? Because if we understand what the Kabbalah is about, it is not dealing merely with the sound. It is dealing also with consciousness. Rabbi Shimon says that as we blow, as I will shortly read, as we blow, or as the person who blows, and also those who listen to the blowing, must inject a consciousness, because the sound itself, the sound by and within itself, is like a, uh, a telephone, like a telephone, that you dial, you make your connections, you're on target, you've reached the person you want to talk to, but you don't talk. The message didn't get across. The fact that you've made contact does not indicate that you've made or you've accomplished the specific purpose. Because if you don't talk, then the individual you were, you were calling for, for whatever reason doesn't know what you're requesting, doesn't know what your action is about despite the fact that you have made a contact. Therefore, says Rabbi Shimon, in each sound, in each sound, one must recognize and one must have a consciousness of what that 
sound is about and what the purpose of that sound is. In other words, just to hear, said Rabbi Shimon, it should have said, It is sufficient to hear the shofar. Now this is a halakha, according to Rabbi Shimon. Now one might ask, so how, how did the idea disseminate in all places all over the world that you come to hear the shofar and those who have experienced the blowing of the shofar at the center, wherever it might be, whether it's here, Israel, or, or in Mexico, every place, every place has diagrams. Diagrams. Because maybe not all of us can remember all this, this totally computerized system. And it is, it's very complicated. When I say complicated, meaning you've got to, uh, you've got to have a consciousness of many things going on at the same time. At the same time. Many things have to be registered at the same time. In other words, there are different intervals when the shofar is blown. It is before the Amidah, before the Shmon Esrei, during the Shmon Esrei, after, or Hazarat Hashatz, when there's a repetition of the Amidah. Each time has another framework. Each as segment of a framework has another connotation. Now you have so many different levels within each framework that it can be if you if you're not computer or computer oriented, it's almost impossible to remember what is flying at a given time with a given sound. But says Rabbi Shimon again, if we are not conscious, if we are not conscious of what energy is being shipped off or flying at that given moment, the sound itself does not accomplish the purpose. Even though it's the correct sound at the correct time. The connection is knowing. That places the energy, that places the power into the missile. In other words, it's like a missile without a warhead. Let's say the mission was destruction of an enemy, an enemy ship or whatever. If there's no warhead and there's just this missile flying through the air, even if it comes in contact, if it does not have the energy of destruction, then it just makes a thud and that is the end. We are talking on Rosh Hashanah, not merely of blowing a shofar, fulfilling a precept. Now this as I said, where, how this originated, I don't know. But nevertheless, the time has come that if people want to improve their well-being, and in the morning we learn there is only one reason why things do not go right, whether it be in the form of health, whether it be in the form of, of family life, whether it be in the, in the, uh, in the frame of uh, business, there is only one problem, and that problem is that negative activity that exists in this universe enters into a particular frame and disrupts the frame. If we can eliminate that negative activity, 
if we can eliminate that activity, everything goes right, no matter how stupid our decision will be. Because at the same time we know how smart I might be and how wise the decision was, it could still be a failure. How do we guarantee, how do we guarantee that any undertaking will uh, result in the long pull, there may be ups and downs in between, but in the long and in the end, it works out to our benefit. There is only one objective. It is to remove <coughs> the negative energy intelligence that roams once a year in its without a support system. Every other day of the year, you have both positive and negative. You say an anabakoach, you can connect with the positive aspect. If you've made that connection, okay, things should go better. But there's only one day of the year, says Rabbi Shimon. One day of the year, well actually I should say two days of the year, both days of Rosh Hashanah, where there is no other support system. There isn't something that we can just meditate and say, well, we'll try to connect with the positive energy of this day. There is no positive energy. Therefore, the objective of blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is for no other purpose on Rosh Hashanah but to destroy the enemy, destroy negativity. Negativity has a frame called fragmentation, misfortune, suffering, illness, whatever, you name it, is included in that word din. And on Rosh Hashanah, we were given this opportunity, we were given this opportunity to destroy that frame called din. But we must know what it is. Therefore, to make this connection on, an, on a higher level of uh, consciousness than which the tapes deal with, although it deals at its minimal level, to the extent that we destroy totally the enemy, which is din, meaning fragmentation, it is to that extent that our year, that our year or the coming year, represents the fortune and the certainty and all of the beneficence and good things that we seek for in our lives. I also want to uh, mention the fact that we are now coming into the uh, throes of Tafshin Nun. Tafshin Nun. It's an old Kabbalistic tradition from many, many sources that this is the year of Mashiach. That's simple. Now, for some people it represents trauma. Some people it represents maybe good things. But if we don't know what Mashiach means, and obviously it means both, or it doesn't mean anything. What it does mean, what it does mean is, what does Mashiach mean in a word? The frame of reference which says certainty. Certainty. One word, certainty. When there is certainty, when there is certainty, you have everything. It is only we don't know what tomorrow brings that causes a lot of the problems that become injected in our decisions. If everyone could see tomorrow, the decision would be clear. 
but because we have to anticipate tomorrow being maybe not exactly as we think it might be, we're only projecting, therefore, unbeknown to us right now, we are already injecting negative activity in our decisions. The minute you say, uh, well, I think we have to do it this way because we're not sure and we want to be sure if we can take into account many of the uncertainties of tomorrow. Nobody's sure about what tomorrow will be. Therefore, you make certain decisions in relation to the uncertainties of tomorrow. The fact that we have now taken precautions because of uncertainties tomorrow, we have already injected uncertainty into our decision. And therefore, whatever decision we're making today is one of uncertainty. Then it will depend on being lucky or unlucky, which we don't ever want to be in that position, which indicates we have no control. We have no control. The minute you inject uncertainty, you have no control. What we are discussing here is control. Nothing less and nothing more. Total control. There can only be one way of control, according to Rabbi Shimon. Only one way. That uncertainty does not exist. If uncertainty doesn't exist, then all I do is follow the rules. I don't have to know about what tomorrow is going to be. I follow the rules. And I don't have to take any precautions because of uncertainty. This is the way I do it, and that has to lead to the result or the desired result. So this whole aspect of blowing, the whole aspect of blowing was established for the annihilation of Din. Now, the first series, the first series includes Tekiah, Shvarim, Truah, and Tekiah. Rabbi Shimon says that in this word of Shvarim, in this word, I'm sorry, of Truah mentioned in the Torah, we have Shvarim, Truah, and Tekiah. Those are the three significant sounds that we deal with on Rosh Hashanah. There's a Tekiah, that one long sound at the beginning of every, of every frame, and a tekiah at the end. In between, in between, you have sometimes shvarim alone and sometimes truah alone. Now we ask the question, why is only truah mentioned? Why is only truah mentioned in the Torah? Only truah, not shvarim, not even tekiah. Only truah. I haven't found an answer other than what Rabbi Shimon, when he leads us into the explanation of what this is all about, do we begin to realize what we are dealing with. Rabbi Shimon says there are Beit Gvurot, two aspects of negativity, two aspects. Achatu kaf small, shenikra yitzchak, vashiniya hi malchut. In that, in that sentence, in that sentence, he describes it all. But he goes on to explain it, and I will explain it. But in any event, gvura, for those of you not familiar with that word, gvura means strength, but gvura also means power. Gvura means energy. 
There are two kinds of energies, says Rabbi Shimon. Two kinds. One originates with Yitzchak, and one originates with Malchut, which is David. David. Both, as we know, both, as we know, represent negativity. Not negativity in a in a uh, necessarily evil way, but just like women are called negative. Now, indicating female. A bulb has a positive pole and a negative pole. Does it mean evil? No. Just I want to make it make it clear that when we're dealing with gvura, we're dealing with uh, uh, in the female aspect, the female aspect. We are dealing with negative energy. Now, in a bulb, in a bulb, the negative pole is the significant pole. Why is the negative pole the significant pole? Because it is the vessel that draws and makes manifest energy. That's it. In other words, who carries the baby? Why not the man? Why the woman? Because it is only this aspect of negativity that makes things manifest. That makes things manifest. Now, in manifestation of of energy, and this can only be accomplished by the negative aspect. The difference between Yitzchak and David, or between Shvarim, which Rabbi Shimon says means Yitzchak Shivarim means Yitzchak I'll, get, I'll come back to the two Tkiot shortly and Truah means David Malchut Malchut these and only these two represent represent the aspects of negative energy what is he telling with that with that that in negativity there are also two parts. We think a female, we think a female is purely negative. Does that mean she hasn't got the ability to share? Because she's negative? Because she's the vessel? Of course not. She has the power to do both. She has the power to do both. When we discuss Yitzchak, we are talking about male power. What does that mean, male power? What does it mean, male power? It means power that of, of uh, energy that serves a useful purpose. A useful purpose. When we come and that purpose, that sort of energy, not only remains stationary like in a bulb, because the bulb will be the aspect of Malchut. We must understand this. Because without this understanding of Rabbi Shimon, we have no idea of what's flying, and if we don't have an idea of what's flying, then when we hear those two sounds, shvarim, which is la, 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 three, and then there's the trua, ta, 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 ta. These are the two aspects of negativity. These two, these two are the seats of energy. These two, not the tikiyah. The tikiyah that proceeds and the tekiah that follows is not energy. It is not the energy itself. In other words, the warhead 
of this missile that we're now contemplating in destroying the enemy and annihilating Din and annihilating Din can, can it consists of these two aspects male forms of energy and female forms of energy what is the difference between the two female male energy means that energy also has the characteristic of extending outwards extending outwards a woman a woman who gives birth a woman who gives birth has both qualities not only has she created a manifestation of energy but she has also given life to another person also given life to another person outside of herself then there is the female aspect of energy where it is established like in a bulb but it doesn't go out with well light is the only aspect that does go out so the bulb may not be totally uh, within the confines but when we make a decision when we when we build something the structure is a comp- I make a table what did I do I brought together the various atoms and constructed a table here is the table situated it does not flow outside of itself it makes its man- itself manifested here and if I want to make use of it I must come to this energy it does not extend outwards to make use of this table I can sit around it eat on the table read on the table it does not go outside of itself Gvura is called male male negative energy which means it is an it is a um, energy that goes outside of itself outside of itself these are the two basic energies that exist in this world these two or what we say the desire to receive for oneself makes manifest things and the desire to receive for the sake of sharing that is essentially Yitzchak so the names that we give to Yitzchak in terms of Shvarim and Truah Shvarim that those three intermittent ones or the nine or the nine will indicate to us what kind of energy we're talking about in negative in negative energy there is also two parts the evil part of energy also consists of two, of two things how does it consist of two things one whatever I'm doing is for myself alone it does not extend outwards I want everything for myself I think only of myself that's one part of negative energy then there is another form of negative energy that extends outwards you have a, a child and you want to share with the child but you keep on smothering him with so much good with so much good you're sharing energy you can destroy the child that's called evil energy in other words you sharing essentially is something good you share energy with another person but in there is another aspect to sharing which can become negative like giving a child more than the child should be getting overextending over over imparting of energy is also called negative energy these are the two aspects there are these two pure energies like Yitzchak 
Yitzchak extends outwards, but with measured, it's measured. And then there is another aspect of energy that is not measured outwardly. It's only inwardly. There are no two other energies that exist in this world. These are the two energies that we have to deal with. So, if we have created negative activity in the world, it consists of two parts. Where my ego dictated that if I, if I share with somebody else, he'll be subject to me. I'll control him. And that's the only reason I shared with him. Now he needs me. So the only purpose in sharing was to create a condition whereby now this person becomes completely dependent upon me, becomes subject to me. Negative. Negative. It must be the kind of negative energy of Yitzchak. Measured. Measured. The Shvarim is Yitzchak. Yitzchak. The, you, we might ask, why do we have the Teruah, which is the only aspect mentioned in the, in the uh, Torah. Remember we asked the question, why only Teruah? Where did Rabbi Shimon get the idea? Where did he get the idea of Shvarim? Which means three sounds, not nine. Although they must, they both have the same length in time. That is the halakha. When you blow the shvarim, la, 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 let's say it takes two seconds. The length of the nine, da, 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 which must be a minimum of nine, must be no less also, let's say, those two seconds. They must both equal the same time frame. Both of them must equal the same time frame. If they do not equal the same time frame, they are invalid. In other words, it is not sufficient that we also concentrate. We therefore need someone who knows how to blow. The fact that we can have the best intentions and to inject the best thoughts, but if the system doesn't work, then we are not considering that as achieving our objective. So obviously, it requires two aspects. One who knows how to blow, and one also who knows what he's blowing. Now, both of these two have the same time frames. What is the difference between the two of them? The nine, the nine is the three. What is the difference? Within one, you have the, the composite of three, right? When you blow one sh- shvarim, since I said there, there are three shvarim, la, la, la. And then you have the trua, ta, 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 ta. That means you, and you have nine, minimum of nine. That means three of the trua, the ones that are cut uh, quickly, is equivalent to the one. To the equivalent to the one. Why? Says Rabbi Shimon. Because the Shvarim are on a higher level. It's Yitzchak. First of all, the name indicates Yitzchak was on a much higher level. He is of the Magen David 
of the upper triad. You know, the Magin David is divided into two. Upper triad and lower triad. What is the significance between the upper and the lower? The upper, we say, is potential, but we learned in the morning, potential is more powerful than actual. Potential is more powerful than actual. Why is potential more powerful than actual? Even though everyone or people tell us if they want to help us in our improvement, they say, look, you've got to make your potential become actual. But act, but in actuality, potential contains more. Let's say I, I have a, a, a thought on how to make a lot of money. The moment I begin to manifest that thought, it loses some of the significance because let's say the thought was go into real estate, you'll make a lot of money. Going into real estate contains the whole idea of real estate. Then one day I'll decide, well, what kind of real estate? Oh, maybe stores, maybe apartment house, maybe office building, maybe land, maybe private houses. The thought of real estate contained all of these. When I made it manifest into one area, I may have chosen the wrong one. So potential contains more than the actual always but I don't want that to happen we want to avoid from the potential we want to make sure that the potential becomes manifest Shvarim why is it only one and not three because it's not broken in that respect it's more of the totality of each aspect you know why we have three Shvarim if you're, again you must listen to the tapes the Shvarim has three meaning right, left, and central. Because in every atom, an atom is our closest uh, indication of energy. It's the most powerful energy there is. It contains three parts. Proton, neutron, and electron. Everything of energy contains three parts. So why do we blow three in the Shvarim? La, la, la. Because we are injecting in these three right, left, and central. But because they are in a potential state, the Shvarim, it's the upper triad, Yitzchak belongs to the upper triad, therefore, it is not fragmented as much as when it comes into Tru'ah. Tru'ah already is on the level of Malchut, in the level of actuality. In this world, we suddenly deal with time, space. I mean, if I want to make money, I can't sit home. I have to go somewhere. Well, some people could make money even sitting home. They don't have to go out of their home. With a telephone, he can make money. Does it mean everyone needs space, time to make money? No, even on this level we know it. You can remain right there. Who's the smarter one? The one who doesn't have to spend time running around. He doesn't require motion. You have to get into a car. You're stuck in traffic for two hours. There it is. What are you going to do with a car? Unless you have a telephone. But then you have to drive. How can you concentrate? Easy to do it where? When there's no space and time. This is quite obvious. On, the, on our level. So Shvarim, Shvarim is called Yitzchak. That's why it's only three. To indicate that each segment 
is unified. Where in Teruah, each one of those three are split. Because it's in the dominion of of uh, David. Our dominion. The reason the Torah says Teruah, it says Teruah, and along comes Rabbi Shimon, along comes Rabbi Shimon, and adds Shvarim too. Not only Teruah, although it does not say anywhere in the Torah, Shvarim. Must remember that. Out of nowhere comes Rabbi Shimon, and in the Talmud as well. Out of nowhere, they come and say, blow also Shvarim. Now we have to ask why. Now I, I am fairly certain because I came from that place before I w- went into Kabbalah. Didn't know what this is all about. We know Shvarim, how you blow it. But nowhere where the, where the study of Kabbalah does not take place, nowhere do they know the significance of why is it Shvarim? What does Shvarim mean? Oh, that's the sound. Not enough. That's the sound, that's the mechanics. The energy, you want to make that into an energy of, pos- of positive, negative energy as we describe, you have to say this is Yitzchak. Now the fact that you didn't know all that I just said, you only understood that Shvarim, when it goes da, 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 all you have to register, Yitzchak. Press a button called Yitzchak. You've taken it all. Now if you're, you're uh, expanding, as I did now with you, to tell you what does Yitzchak mean. It means da, da, da. It means three aspects. Proton, neutron, electron. But on the upper level. We've expanded on its meaning. By expanding meaning you are expanding the potential energy of that sound. You are. If you haven't injected, if you didn't press the button called Yitzchak, that's why on the wall when we blow, there is someone pointing to the name. Pointing to the name and also a little more. But even if you can't even read it in Hebrew, but you've connected with the word, that's the code word Yitzchak is not a name. It means a name too. But the significance of Yitzchak is not he was called by a name. It indicates the kind of energy you activate by flipping. You know what happens? All you do is flip a switch. How much energy did you put into it? How much thought did you have to put into it? One thought. I have to flip a switch. When you flip Yitzchak, when you say Yitzchak, at that time, you've activated the energy of Yitzchak. And if you did not say Yitzchak, but you just heard some wonderful blowing of da, 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 nothing has happened. Nothing. Nothing. You have a telephone system, you have a missile without the warhead, without energy. Very serious matter. Very serious matter. What if the blower doesn't know the intention and the receiver does, the one who hears it does? Then, well, let, first of all, if there is no communication between the two, if there's no communication between the two, it might, give, it might be compared to, uh, to uh, picking up a system, you know, picking up a computer, and uh, it doesn't work. But I know... I know 
what this computer should be doing, but there's no computer that I can work with. That would be the same. Therefore, when we read the first half, I added that Rabbi Shimon said he has to be shalem. What do you mean he has to be shalem? He has to be a tzaddik? He should have said tzaddik. He should have said he has to be a tzaddik. Rabbi Shimon didn't say he's trying to make a tzaddik out of this fellow. He wants to make him into an operative computer, an operative system. That when he injects into the system the energy power, that it'll go and be lechaven and be directed toward the intended target. This is not a joke. It has been a joke up until now. That's why families say we should get together with the most significant part of Rosh Hashanah. We should sit together and have a meal together, enjoy each other. This is the time. The entire significance, unfortunately, has been lost. So, if we if we do if we do not experience a perfect year, and you can't imagine, you think we can, we can't experience a perfect year. We are so accustomed to a year having problems. It must be with problems. It doesn't have to. When I, I discuss problems, we are not discussing problems which are only opportunities, we are discussing problems that are irreversible. Those are problems. Problems that have to be dealt with and overcome are not problems if they can be overcome. They're not problems. They are opportunities, as we learn in the morning. Only opportunities. It is those that are irreversible. A man goes bankrupt. I mean, that's the end of the business. But if a person has problems, threatening or life-threatening situations along the way, and they disappear. That means the problems were only opportunities. They were not uh, so fit. They were not terminal. So when Rabbi Shimon decided on this, and he, he gives us clearly how this should be established. The, all the different frames that are mentioned, that you see, if you don't have that in front of you, if you do not have that in front of you, and the person blowing does not have that in front of him. Mind you, it does not require that everyone remember it. Would you got if you learn it often enough and you do it often enough, then it, it's like everything else. You you know it becomes second nature. But even for those who never, never knew what shvarim was, but he hears the sound and he presses the button. So I don't know, I don't know how the telephone system works. Do we all know how the telephone system works? No. You have to learn what? One thing. What do you learn? How to dial. How to dial. More than how to dial is not required. You've got to press a button. Zero, six. When we see that, when it's pointed, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Abraham. That's the number. You press the number. You say, but I don't even know what it's all about. And I don't remember all that we just said. And maybe tonight you did not even fully understand the implication of Shvarim and Truah. Let's say you didn't. But the fact that you heard it, you must understand something else. Why do we say reading of the Zohar is so powerful? Which I've done. And the reason I did it, for those of you who 
will not have the opportunity, at least you heard it. The fact that you don't remember, the fact that you don't remember, or you didn't understand it quite uh, as it was intended, but you heard it. On another level, remember it's the 4% that we, we have difficulty. The, 94, the 96% that we are told is the potential level, remember? The psychiatrists tell us, 96% of us, that potential level, we can only make it activate. You know how you activate that 96%? He activates the 96%. And the reason I read Rabbi Shimon, I could have told it to you orally. No, because he activates the 96%. Is that possible? From my, from my experience over the years, everyone, it's worth a try. I don't want to sit here and convince you of the endless miracles that we experience and then you know you once in a while you want to see a little miracle <laughs> right but but the proof always is it you know is in the pudding it's in the pudding and we we have seen that you know merely connecting with his words and therefore those of you who cannot at least should find out should find out where this reading takes place, even though you don't understand a word. Remember, if you don't understand one word, it is exactly similar to the idea of not understanding what one wire in that telephone system is about. Not understanding one one byte of a computer, what it's all about, does not prevent us from making use of those instruments. Yes. So I say, try it. Maybe it'll work. Try it on Rosh Hashanah. If you don't try it on Rosh Hashanah, if you don't try it on Rosh Hashanah, it's like they say in genetic uh, engineering. What are they trying to do? They're trying to if, if spot a problem in the fetus. You see, if we can spot the problem in the fetus, then. Uh, it could be that everything will go well later. But once the fetus develops into a child and into adulthood, it becomes more difficult. You can't, you can't maneuver anymore in the source. Rosh Hashanah is the source. If we can manipulate this day, then it will be the manipulation for the whole year. Now, how will you know? You'll have to see it. You'll have to see it. The proof has to be in the pudding. Now, when someone raises, like, uh, yes, you just raised this question, you know, I mean, when, when, it, when, you, when you go to a doctor and you entrust your life with him and you ask him, well, tell me, is he going to pull through? What is his answer? Not sure. And the first thing the patient does is leave. He says, you can't guarantee me I'm going to trust you with my life, everyone does that. They walk out from the doctor's office, right? Is that normal behavior? No. No. All of a sudden, we become Jewish, right? When it comes to here, Rabbi Shimon says, you know, this is a possibility. Well, listen, Shimon, I want you to show me in advance. I mean, you know, uh, some of the guarantees. Where do we have guarantees? We have none. In a business, what guarantees? Who can we speak to? You go to, you speak to your accountant, he will tell you. He was that great, he would be in business himself, right? So he's not the one. 
the lawyer who 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 uh, who advises you or the economist who who and what, uh, what where, where do we have this 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 freedom of guarantee nowhere so why we suddenly should we even ask Rabbi Shimon he is even making the comment that he says if you handle it correctly on Rosh Hashanah if you handle it on Rosh for the whole year for the whole year so the least that Rabbi Shimon expects of us is we should try it but if we don't try it and we do not do it then what? that we should expect it? no because negative activity exists in this world there's nothing we can do about it alright now we have so Shvarim and Truah Shvarim and Truah mentioned as Truah because it actually includes Shvarim because we said Shvarim is the potential it's the concealed part thought is potential where is thought? who can see it? nobody remember we asked the question how come only Truah is mentioned? Because Truah already includes the hidden part, which is called Shvarim. That is the essential part, energy. Now, why do we blow the Tkiah before and the Tkiah after? They are not energy. They are not buying within themselves energy. It is the harnessing of energy. What is... What is... Uh, the first Tekiah. First Tekiah has a code name. What's the code name? Avraham. That name Avraham is the code name. It's the button for the first Tekiah. And every Tekiah is Avraham. What is Avraham? What is Avraham? Person. No, we say in Kabbalah, the Vishimon uh, says, he's a code. Forget about that man may never existed. He may never existed. That's not what the Torah wants to tell me a story about Avram, how good he was, kind he was in stories. No. The significance of Avram was the terrible story that we read about taking his only son that he was he was now one hundred, right? And thirty seven years old, right? And I don't think he expected to have any more children. I don't think so. He's now 137. And now he's told by God, take Yitzchak, slaughter him. And everybody reads the story, including, I'm sure, Yossi. Yeah, he accepts it. Nice. Look, that's what a father normally would do. And you know what? Most of us don't even question it. That we don't question our man, 137 years old, is taking a son who's 37 years old and his only son, and God tells him, slaughter him. That sounds right. It has nothing to do with the with what really was taking place. Avram is a code. Whether he existed or not is not even important. Because so what he exist? He did exist or he didn't. What does it do for me today? How does that help me today? Avram went for the purpose of what? Laked. To bind. What does binding mean? You see, we can have we can have a tremendous amount of energy flow, tremendous amount of ideas. But if we can't put it together, can't put it together, what do you have? Nothing. Nothing. Laked. The word of, like we learned in the morning, inkudim is putting these things all together. 
putting him together. Putting him together. When we press that, when we do that tekiah, the first tekiah, and it means Avraham, that's the code. When you, you, you when we're going to blow the first tekiah, first you think you, or uh, as it's being blown, Avraham, Avraham. What you have immediately injected is you have established the power of harnessing. Remember, shvarim and truah. We said are two forms of negative energy. That's the warhead. That's that's the material that's going to make things be annihilated. Be they're going to remove the negative activities that surround our lives. That's shvarim and truah. But you know what? You can give a child, you know, uh, an atom bomb, and if he doesn't know, and it's not controlled, or you give him a million dollars, he can squander it. Energy must be controlled. Energy must be placed in a specific manner by which it will have the maximum efficiency. You call in efficiency experts. Why do you call in efficiency experts? He comes into a factory... And he, does, he doesn't come, an efficiency expert doesn't come in and say, well, buy more stuff and make more investments. No, you call in an efficiency expert because you're saying, look, this is what I have. How do I have, or how can I make use, the maximum use of what I have? That's an efficiency expert. In other words, what you have, you want to make and take the fullest advantage of the material that we have. When you press the word Avraham, you have activated us you have activated a force that creates efficiency precision in the energy of shvarim and truah that's what avram is about that's what the akedat yitzchak was about the binding what do you mean binding harnessing put it into a, a full fruition making maximum use of what the energy is about. In other words, the shvarim and the truah are, and the shofar, which again I exp- explained fully in the tapes, why the shofar, why not another instrument? You can use a trumpet. You can make sounds, the same sounds with a trumpet. We, the, we, we've explained why the shofar, only the shofar. That sound that comes out from this instrument is the only instrument that can produce a shvarim and a truah. It is the only instrument that I can produce a avraham, a balance. The last kia, what's the code for it? Yaakov. What is Yaakov? What is Yaakov? Central column. Remember, you must have not only a, a proton, but also a neutron, even though physicists don't know what the purpose of a, of a neutron in the atom is all about. Don't know. We do know to stabilize all of these things. Stabilize. Like you have in the bulb, you have a negative column, then you have Avraham, which is the positive pole, but those two bind within themselves are not sufficient to create a circuit of energy, an ongoing uh, instrument that is productive, that can fulfill the purpose. 
the last takia, when it's blown, you have to press a button. That's how simple it is, by the way. That's how simple it is. It seems like it's so complicated because if you open up the halakha, and you know what halakha means, halakha means direction. It means walking. It means the path. It doesn't mean rules. It means how things should be structured. That's what halakha means. But it, it's so it's so voluminous. There's so much to learn. So much to learn. You can learn a lot of things, but if you don't know how to operate and you don't know how to make use of the telephone, you can learn all there is to know about how the telephone is structured, how it was constructed. But if you don't know how to dial, then all is lost. While we may not know, while we may not know how to blow, while we may not know what constitutes a proper instrument, in other words, not every shofar can be used. There are certain requirements that make the instrument. Okay, leave it to the experts. What will make the shofar work? Leave it to the experts. There's a lot of laws concerning what makes this instrument the proper instrument. That you don't have to learn. Someone who knows, who studied, depend on him. But, says the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, there's one thing you can't depend, there's one thing you cannot depend upon anybody else but yourself. And that is, when the fellow who's blowing the shofar is blowing, and he has all of the proper meditations, pressing all the right buttons, but you are not pressing the right button, you are not pressing the right button, only him, and you are just listening, this is the one area, the one area where that is not sufficient. Generally, we know if I make a bracha, let's say I want to make kiddush, I make the bracha, and nobody else has to make the bracha. You have to hear it. But you know what? We still announce in advance before the kiddush what the purpose of the kiddush is. While you may not have to blow, we may not, others do not have to make the kiddush, but nevertheless, why do we announce what the kiddush is about? What is the purpose? If we don't know what the purpose is, if we don't know what the purpose is, we have not made a connection to the internal energy of that, of that function, of that instrument. What about Shabbat? This year, Shabbat. All right, I, I'm... I'm going to bring up that that one point. All right? This is essentially the system. Now, the Gemara right here also in uh, in uh, in page I think it's, yes, in page uh, 29b, it says what happens if Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbat as it does this year. As it does this year. It says, although in the Beta Mikdash they did blow on Shabbat. In the Beta Mikdash they blew on Shabbat. But after the destruction of the temple, we do not blow on Shabbat. Do not blow on Shabbat. What is the reason, says the Talmud? Because maybe someone who, who wasn't fully prepared he didn't get all of the instructions 
before Rosh Hashanah, he may want to go for a last minute polishing. He may want to go to his teacher carrying the shofar, and let's say he is a Rishutta Rabbin, which means a public place where you're not permitted to carry. So he'll take the shofar along with him, and he will go, and he will go to his teacher to get the final instructions. And that's why we no longer blow. That's the case. You know, there could be other reasons. We should not wear a talit on Shabbat. Maybe, you know, the last minute I forgot my talit and uh, many other things. But there's a code there too. There's a code. Why we do not blow on Shabbat. And the Ari says, the Ari says, on Shabbat, when the temple was there, there was because of the temple acting as a as the the all an embracing instrument. In other words, it provided an extra. Let's say extra. Make it a little easier. An extra shield with the support of the Beth Hamikdash. Things flowed a lot easier. Now that we do not have that Beth Hamikdash, the chances of our making use of the shofar has been diminished but on Shabbat it, be, it has an, an additional value why? because on Shabbat we are told that we reach another dimension of consciousness that's the advantage of Shabbat whereas usually we're on the lowest level of consciousness throughout the week lowest level of consciousness we're given a gift on Shabbat immediately thrust into a higher level of consciousness a higher level because we come into this higher level of consciousness and we do not have the Beit HaMikdash, we have the support and benefit of the Shabbat to accomplish the same purpose. In other words, when we said negative energy is now flowing, it's called the Satan. There's a word for him. The Satan comes around on Rosh Hashanah, pointing, oh, this guy, here's what he did. All this negative activity brings the whole list of negative energy intelligence, and we're trying to now vaporize with our shofar. But on Shabbat, you see, he comes on Rosh Hashanah and he says, oh, this guy. But this guy, you know where he is? He moved into a higher level of consciousness. He can't find him because he knows he's on in Malchut. So when Rosh Hashanah is during...